the heart of a leader today. Uh, kind of interesting that I'm going to speak on Josiah today, and uh, just trust that this will be an encouragement to all of us as we look at this godly man. Father in heaven, now as we've already prayed, we ask you to use your word. And I just pray that you'd help me to uh, have your wisdom on the things to say, and I pray, Lord, that you would uh, guide and direct us as we listen to your word, that it would find fertile ground and take root and grow and produce fruit that lasts. In Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen. I'd like to introduce you to a friend of mine. His name is Stephen. Stephen uh, was a Ph.D. student at Trinity, which is our EFCA seminary in the Chicago area. And uh, he began his Ph.D. studies and worked through his classes and was doing great. He and his wife uh, nurtured their family during those years and and uh, they gave birth to their daughter who was diagnosed uh, shortly after her birth with a inoperable brain tumor on her brain stem and uh, the prognosis was not good. Uh, but they continued on. As uh, Stephen finished his classwork, was preparing to take his comprehensive exams, he felt the Lord's call to local church ministry. And so he asked the Lord to guide and direct him. And so there was one of our churches in Wisconsin that was uh, anticipating the retirement of their senior pastor. And so the senior pastor reached out to Stephen and said, if you'll come and be our youth pastor, we'll consider the possibility of having you become our next senior pastor so you can come and learn our church and we'll work your way in to become our senior pastor. So Stephen agreed. Well, while he uh, came and finished his classwork and was preparing for his comprehensive exams, uh, he served as the youth pastor. And uh, he took his exams the first time and did not pass. And uh, so he said, well, I... I'm going to keep trying again. And so he continued serving as the youth pastor and took his comprehensive exams again. Meanwhile, the church decided, well, we don't think that we want to just have Stephen become our senior pastor. So we're going to change our mind and open up and do a full nationwide search and bring in an interim pastor. And so, Stephen, you're welcome to stay and apply, but we're not going to just give you like we told you we would the opportunity to be our senior pastor. So Stephen humbly said, well, I'll be glad to stay being a youth pastor. Meanwhile, he took his comps and failed a second time. Um, he ran into one of our professors that has a pretty high bar. And, uh, and so when you fail your comps twice, they dismiss you from the Ph.D. program. So all the money that he invested and the time he invested in the Ph.D. program was just kind of, he was gone. Yet he joyfully continued serving as the youth pastor in this church. And finally the church came to him and said, Stephen, we don't feel you're our guy. Meanwhile, his daughter went to their checkup and they found a second tumor in her brain, second inoperable tumor in her brain. And this week, as I was following up with Stephen, um, she has taken a turn for the worse. Uh, Stephen was my mentor in areas of New Testament scholarship, and I 
if I had a question about Greek, I'd always call Stephen and he'd answer it for me. And, and I helped him work through the ordination process in the free church, so we were really good friends. And as I talked to Stephen, I said, Stephen, do you think maybe the Lord might be trying to tell you that he doesn't want you in the ministry? He says, no. He says, I just, I just really feel led and I feel called to serve in pastoral ministry. Well, eventually, he was given an opportunity to be the associate pastor in one of our churches in the Minnesota area. And he's there, and he wrote to me just this last week. He says, you know, I am just joyfully enjoying ministry in this local church. My family is doing great. And I said, well, how's Evangeline doing? She said, well, she's, uh, you know, she's taking a turn for the worse. But we're trusting God, and we're just excited for what he's going to do in the life of our family. And I just thought, wow. And the question I ask is, what is it that gives a man like that the endurance and the perseverance to want to stay in ministry? Why, why would a man like this, with all of these challenges and all of these roadblocks, one after another after another, and then the heartache that they must be feeling for their little girl, and he keeps saying, on with the ministry. We want to serve. And the question I want to ponder today with you is why? What is the why of Christian leadership? What is the why of serving, even though we might face difficulties and struggles and hardships and disappointments along the way? What is the why of a person like my friend Stephen to go into Christian ministry? To answer that question, I turn to the life of a godly king in the life of the nation of Judah, King Josiah. And his story is found in 2 Kings chapters 22 and 23. So if you have your Bibles, you might want to open them there. I decided this week that I'm going to project most of the text. So, um, But if you'd like to, I kind of like to have my Bible on my lap anyway. And uh, so if you'd like to do that, uh, I'd like to encourage you to do that. Let's go about, look at the landscape of King Josiah's life. Like Hezekiah before him, when Josiah became the king, he inherited a nation that was in spiritual chaos. Uh, his grandfather Manasseh is described as one of the most evil and wicked kings in all of the history of the kings of the north or the southern kingdom. He built shrines to Baal and to Baal's wife, Asherah, uh, even in the temple. Uh, temple prostitution was common. Uh, star and planetary worship was encouraged. Uh, worship of Molech was encouraged. And Molech was the wicked god who required child sacrifice. And so they instituted that in Israel, if you can imagine. Divination and astrology and occultism were officially sanctioned, and anyone who objected was killed. And tradition has it that the prophet Isaiah was killed during the reign of Manasseh. Tradition tells us that he was hiding in a hollow tree, and Manasseh's army came and sawed him in two. And this is, this is the king of Israel. Isn't it interesting? From a godly leadership of Hezekiah, it only took one generation. One generation. 
for there to be spiritual and moral chaos. That's kind of a lesson for us, but that's another sermon. Despite the ruthless practices of his grandfather, there remained a remnant of faithful and godly people so that when Josiah ascended to the throne, being only eight years old, that's the way monarchies work. When you're next in line, you step up. And he was only eight, but he had a godly remnant of godly people to help raise him and encourage him as he became king. And so he grew up in his 20s and began to reverse the spiritual chaos from his grandfather and his father who were before him. Most significantly, he ordered the removal of idolatry in the temple and began the long process of renovating the temple, which was in shambles. And as the workers were in the temple, they found a time capsule in the cornerstone. And in this time capsule was a complete scroll of what scholars believe was the book of Deuteronomy. And so when these workers found this scroll of Deuteronomy, they immediately took it to Josiah, and Josiah read it. And when he was reading the book of Deuteronomy, here is what he read. Deuteronomy, beginning with chapter 28, verse 20. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and rebuke, and everything you put your hand to until you are destroyed and come to the sudden ruin because of the evil things you are doing. Because of the evil things that you are doing. Verse 25. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You will come to them from one direction, but you will flee from them in seven. And you will become a thing of horror to the kingdoms on earth. This is what he was reading from the book of Deuteronomy. He looked around him and he saw, whoa, look at all the stuff that's happening. This is what God says he's going to do to us. Chapter 28, beginning with verse 40. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away from the ends of the earth, like an eagle swooping down, a nation whose language you will not understand, a fierce-looking nation without respect for the old or the pity for the young. They will devour the young of your livestock, the crops of your land, until you are destroyed. They will leave you no grain, new wine, or, or olive oil, nor any calves of your herds or lambs of your flocks, until you are ruined. Imagine being the king of Israel and reading in the book of the law what God would do to you if you did what they're doing. So here's what Josiah did. Second Kings, chapter 22. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. Now, when a king is on the throne, he's got royal robes. And these royal robes have all kinds of symbolism for the monarchy. And when the king tears his robes before God, it's a sign that he is saying, Lord, I tear these robes as a sign that I am humbling myself before you. And I relinquish my leadership. And I give it to you. I, I tear my robes. This is horrible. 
what we're doing is, is detestable in your sight, and I know it, I've just read it, so I tear my clothes in humility before you. And then the Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 13, he gives this order. Go and inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and for all Judah, about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us, because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. So Josiah reads Deuteronomy and he looks around at the landscape of his nation and he says, we're in a pretty bad state right now. Go and ask God what he's going to do. And so in 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 16, here's what he finds. This is what God is going to do. Beginning with verse 16 of 2 Kings 22. The prophets came back and said, This is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on this place and its people according to everything written in the book that King Josiah has read. So God's going to keep his word. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and aroused my anger by all the idols their hands have made, my anger will burn against this place and will not be quenched. So God has set it in motion and nothing was going to change his mind. But then Josiah learned something very interesting in 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 20. This is what God says. Therefore, I will gather you and your ancestors and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see the disaster I'm going to bring on this place. You see, God saw Josiah the king rent his robes and cry out to God and, and inquire of what God's going to do. And God said, Josiah, uh, you humbled yourself. Now, the fact that you humbled yourself is not going to change my judgment. I'm still going to judge the people because I have to remain true to my word. But you won't happen during your lifetime. Now, to many people, that would be a great relief. Wouldn't it? Well, okay, God, you know, go ahead and do what you're going to do. Um, but thanks that it's not going to happen in my lifetime. And Josiah could just say, well, I think I'm going to relax now. Um, I'm just going to let God do his thing. Uh, God's going to judge for what my grandfather did. Uh, but since, uh, since I humbled myself and God's going to give me grace, um, I'm just going to sit and wait it out and uh, let God do what he's going to do. But Josiah did not do that. Look at 2 Kings 23, beginning with verse 1. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, with priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest, and he read in their hearing the book of the covenant which had been found in the temple of the Lord. So Josiah said, listen to this, you guys. The king, uh, the king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes, and decrees with all his heart and all his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in the book. And then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. If you have your Bibles open, verse 4 
He removed all the articles of idol worship from the temple. Verse 5, he banished all the priests of false gods. He probably got some pushback on that. This is probably not an easy thing for him to do. Verse 6, he destroyed all the objects of false worship and divination from the land. Verse 7, he destroyed all the places where religious prostitution was practiced. He pulled down altars where the sacrifice happened. Removed all the articles of dedicated to other gods. Verses 21 and 24. He led the nation in a celebration of the Passover. And the Bible says a celebration like has never been done since the time of Moses. All this after God said, Josiah, listen. I'm going to do this to Judah and nothing's going to stop me. But not during your lifetime. You're going to be spared. But Judah went and he, or Josiah went and, and led this massive revival. And 2 Kings 23, verse 25 says, Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his strength, in accordance with all the law of Moses. So here's the question. God said that he would judge Judah with no possibility of changing his mind and that Josiah would not experience it. Why would Josiah still lead the nation in full devotion? What's the deal? Why would he do this? Apparently, it wouldn't make any difference So why would Josiah, the king of Judah, go through all the trouble of cleansing the temple, abolishing false worship, celebrating the Passover, committing the people to God, all while knowing that God was going to judge Judah anyway? Apparently, what he was doing wasn't going to make any difference. But yet, he still led the people to follow God. And why would my friend Stephen still faithfully serve the Lord after, in God's sovereign providence, take all these things from him. Why? Why do leaders do this? Why did Josiah do this? Well, I'd like to summarize my own summary and suggest to you that Josiah led the people of God to pursue God because that's what leaders do. That's what Christian leaders do. They can't help themselves. They can't help it. I told my wife this week, Honey, I think I want to do some more interims after I'm done in Three Lake. I said... I just can't help it. I want to stay in the ministry. As long as he was king, he would do everything in his power to honor God and lead the people of God to honor God, even when the imminent prospect of judgment would not change. Because that's what leaders do. Now, what was it in the heart of Josiah that caused that? Well, there's three things, and I'll quickly share them with you. One, 
A Christian leader leads from the overflow of his or her heart. There's an overflow of your heart. It's not because we have to. It's not because we're trying to earn God's grace. It's not because we're trying to impress anybody and become a big star. The reason why Josiah did what he did is because his heart was overflowing with love for God. He was walking with God and he is worthy of our worship and devotion. And he was overwhelmed with the privilege of being the king and the leader. And he was just, he was just incredibly in love with God. And when you're in love with God, you can't help but to say to people, come on with me. And I bet when he was doing all these things, he was whistling, a mighty fortress is our God. Well, probably not that hymn, but he was whistling some psalm or something in his heart because he just, he just had an overflow from his heart. That's exactly what the scripture says in verse 25. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king in him who turned to the Lord with all his heart. That's what a Christian leader has. Psalm 17:15 David says when I awake I'll be satisfied with seeing your likeness. You know, sometimes when when I awake and and my wife looks at me, I don't blame her for going, "Whoa." <laughs> you know. That's not what David's meaning here. David says, "When I awake, I will see you." And that's that gives me a song in my heart. Psalm 73, whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh, my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. God is my portion forever. That's why leaders lead. Their heart just overflows and they can't help it. Second, Christian leaders lead from the inward power of the word of God. Did you catch how Josiah was just totally impressed with the word of God? I mean, when he read Deuteronomy, it gripped him. He just, he just looked at the word of God and he said, this is God's breath. This is amazing that God would communicate to us. Now, after the death of Isaiah, scholars believe that the prophet Jeremiah came alongside of Josiah and helped him in his ministry. Listen to what Jeremiah says in chapter 20, verse 9. But I say, I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name. But if I say, I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones, I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot hold it in. God's Word just has to come out. It's there. I can't keep it in. And you see, that's that's what a Christian leader does. Christian leaders are immersed and saturated with God's Word and they just say, i got to get it out. And that motivates us as leaders. No matter what prospect of difficulties are before us, we say, I know it might be difficult. I know it might be hard, but I can't help it. God's word is a fire and I gotta get it out. That's just what Christian leaders do. 
Third, Christian leaders lead from an amazement of the cross. Now, we all know because last Easter we had uh, Jews for Jesus come and give us all the symbolism of the Passover. Remember that? Oh, does the Passover preach Christ, doesn't it? Jesus is all over the Passover. And so I think I can faithfully say that if a Christian leader is gripped with Jesus, he can't help but to lead. In the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. Can't help it. I'm just, I'm totally captivated by this person, Jesus. And I have to lead. Sometimes I believe that leadership pursues us. Sometimes I believe that leadership is just coming after us and God is saying, you got to lead. You see, leadership doesn't mean that we're in charge. Try that, it doesn't work. We've seen that. We've seen that recently with pastors who think they're hot stuff, haven't we? (laughs) God says, nah, You want to talk about hot stuff? I'm hot stuff, but not you. (laughs) You know, leadership doesn't mean that we're in charge. Leadership means that we are called to influence others to trust God. That's what Hezekiah did. Why? Because of the overflow of our heart, from the power of the word, and from being amazed at the cross. Even if it doesn't appear that our influence will change circumstances. That's what it looked like to Josiah. It looked like to Josiah that what I'm doing is not going to make any difference. I want to give you guys a clue. What Josiah did makes a huge difference in my life. Because I read what Josiah did and I'm totally challenged. His ministry made a huge impact on me. And I bet on thousands, if not millions of others. You know, sometimes, folks, when we lead and we think, what am I doing? I'm not making any difference. Someone's watching. And if not this generation, the next generation. It will always make a difference. But in the time that you're leading... The question is coming down, why are you going to do it? And I'd just like to summarize just a catchphrase that we can remember because that's what Christian leaders do. Is God calling you to lead? I pray that you'll accept his commission. Father, Thank you for thank you for this story that makes such a difference in our lives. And I pray now that as Ian comes and shares with us about the youth ministry, that you would just give us a commitment to stand with those who have said, Yes, I'll lead. Lord, make this a really special time of prayer. 
for our teenagers and those who lead them. In Jesus' name, amen.